John 13, and we'll begin at verse 1 today. John chapter 13. In these next five chapters, we come to the Lord's personal ministry to his disciples. At the end of chapter 12 is the end of his public ministry. In fact, we could say that this, these final verses of chapter 12 is a summary of the whole three-year public preaching of the Lord Jesus. These are now the last days, and in fact it may be the last day, the last evening, uh, before the Lord's death on that cross. <clears throat> You'll notice uh, that the chapter 13, 1 begins with the feast of the Passover. And in chapter th- uh, verse 3, uh, you will see that uh, there's a reference there to the supper. Verse 4, he riseth from the supper. So these five chapters, chapters 13 onward, really are the Lord's personal discourses with his own disciples. And we have nothing like it in any other part of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, and Luke do not delve into these uh, issues that we have in these chapters in John. And so they are vital, and they are powerful chapters. You'll notice how they begin, verse 13, 1, chapter 13, 1. Before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own. Now, this is John's record. I don't know if you use a red-letter Bible or not. Uh, I've gotten into the habit of that, and I must say it, 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 it can be very helpful. And so these are the words of John, not the words of the Lord Jesus himself. John, the gospel writer, who wanted a record of these events, he is the one who used this word, having loved his own which were in the world, He loved them unto the end. Now, these are words that must thrill our hearts uh, as nothing else can. There is a great depth uh, to the statement uh, that comforts every believer through the rigors of discipleship. Uh, There was a hard road ahead for these disciples. As soon as the Lord would be arrested, they would be scattered. The news of his death would be devastating. And then his resurrection, what to do, the waiting for Pentecost, and all the trials and struggles that were upon these men as they became apostles. And strangely, John records nothing of the communion supper. He only makes mention of it as a time marker so that we may know exactly when these words were spoken. Now, why would Matthew, Mark, and Luke refer to the communion and give many details about that instituting of the Lord's Supper and John not do so? Well, we really don't know why. J.C. Ryle suggested that it is to teach us that the communion supper is not everything. You could take communion 
but really not be in communion with the Lord. And there is more to the Christian life than just a ceremony. It is a living relationship as a disciple of the Lord Jesus. And so leaving aside the communion service with the twelve, the Lord went on to demonstrate something very remarkable. After speaking of his own, whom he loved to the end, he stepped out, he took an apron, put it on, he took a towel and a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet. And this is very dramatic. It's the only time it ever happened, and it's never repeated again in the practice of the disciples. And so this is the Lord demonstrating, not merely in words that he loves his own, but in this action of washing the disciples' feet. Now, this, of course, was very unexpected. And these disciples were uh, blessed, helped, ministered to in a very unexpected way. Now, it was merely to prove that the Lord does love his own, and he loves them to the end. And he loves you and me to the end of life's journey. He will never give up on us. He will never withdraw from us. He will be with us to the end of our service here on earth. And indeed, we can say that he will be with us to the end of the world. And that's a tremendous thing to be sure of. And we take this to heart with great joy. Now, what does this foot washing demonstrate? That's what we're interested in here today. This very unique, special, one-time act of the Savior washing these men's feet. And his love is demonstrated by the Lord's amazing humility. His amazing humility. This was the work of a gracious host. Now, in a rich man's home, when visitors would come, it would be very often that the visitors would have water provided to wash their feet. And people may have all the provision to do this themselves, or perhaps a servant might attend to it. But for the host, for the uh, one who is laying everything on, to actually get down to the grimy work of washing the visitor's feet. And I assure you, those feet were not very beautiful. Talks in the Bible about how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel. Well, don't take that literally. And don't take it literally that these disciples had beautiful feet. They were abused feet. They were feet that were weary and worn in the dust and the dirt of the day. And when they arrived as guests, these feet were dusty and dirty. And the Lord got down to the very menial task of washing them. Now, the Lord acted in a timely manner. Because we read in verse 2 that supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son 
to betray him. This was the last opportunity the Lord would have to wash all the disciples' feet, including Judas. And in verse 3, we are told here, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and went to God, this was the night of his arrest. The night when he would soon be led off to die. And the Lord, knowing his own authority that was given to him by God, he immediately went into action to wash the disciples' feet. Why did he do it? That's the question that we always ask in Bible study. Why? What does this mean? Surely the Lord could have done it another way. Why did he choose to do this? Well, we're back to verse 1, to demonstrate, not in merely in words, but in action, that he truly does love his own, and that he loves them to the end. Let no man ever say that trusting in the Lord Jesus is a vain and empty thing to do. Let no man ever say that it is worthless to put your confidence in the love of the Savior. It's real. It's true. It's genuine. And no one will ever be disappointed that rests their soul upon the Savior. We truly have a great Savior for sinners who will be there for the meekest and the very neediest sinner. And every professing Christian has that wonderful hope. I hope that it is cheering your heart right now as we learn more of these things. Now the second reason why the Lord did this we find down in verse 15. And the Lord Jesus said it himself, For I have given you an example. The Lord is teaching these disciples about humility, about service, and servant-like attitude. Now, why is the question again? Why did these disciples not know this? How come after three years that there came this last-minute, fast-track crunch uh, display of the Savior's love and humility. Well, if you go back with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 22 and verse 24, you will see that there was still a root of pride. There was still a self-interest in the heart of these disciples. And it's actually unbelievable that it's recorded here in Luke 22, the chapter that records the institution of the Lord's Supper, and the Lord gave them the cup and gave them the bread to eat and to drink. They were communing with the Lord in this chapter. And yet, in verse 22, uh, verse 24, and it says, And there was also a strife among them, which of them should be accounted the greatest. There's nothing new in human nature. 
And it seems that this root of self-interest, this pride of heart, which was so innate and natural in, in fallen men, that here at the very peak of any religious experience in, in true living communion with the Son of God, celebrating what he was about to do at the cross in his death, that even then, mingled in with all of that, was this strife between the disciples who was the greatest. Now, if I join the dots and go from Luke 22 to John 13, and I remind you again that John doesn't get into the communion supper. He doesn't get into the details but I feel that here is the reason the Lord now launched into this display of humility. While the disciples were bickering in strife as to who was the greatest, the Lord, without rebuking them or saying a word, took the towel, the basin, the water, and commenced to wash these disciples' feet. Because this is real Christianity. And on and down in chapter 13 of John 34, the Lord gave what we now call the 11th commandment. That we are to love one another. And by this commandment shall all men know that ye are my disciples. There is nothing more Christian than humility, than servant-like service. And the Lord, in a very powerful way, demonstrated that as he washed his own disciples' feet, including Judas, including the least, the treacherous one. And he, too, had his feet washed. What a display. Now, this humility comes up right through the New Testament. And Peter, in his epistle, he used the term being clothed in humility. That's what a Christian ought to be. Clothed in humility from head to toe. It ought to be the outstanding characteristic of our lives. Of our walk and talk. Rather than boasting of self. Striving as to who is the greatest being willing to be the least and to serve in the most menial way. Now I quote again from J.C. Ryle from whom I got considerable help. Our Lord would have us love each other so much that we should delight to do anything which can promote their happiness. We ought to rejoice in doing kindnesses even in little things. We ought to count it a pleasure to lessen sorrow and multiply joy, even when it costs us self-sacrifice and self-denial. And that's what our Lord demonstrated in washing those disciples' feet. And this humility reaches within all classes of people, whether we be rich or poor, whether we be influential or in a task of servitude, we can display this Christ-like servant attitude. 
And so you ask me why? Here in this passage, we have the answers. The Lord washed those disciples' feet, not only to express his practical love, but as an example for us. Will you do that this week? Will you put this Christianity into practice in your life that others may know that ye are one of his disciples? That, those two things, must go together. Now another thing, Jesus' love is demonstrated by his personal service. And, and I, you might say, well, boy, you're cutting the hair very thin here. You're shaving this very, very narrow. But I want to draw out that the Lord didn't do this by proxy or by command and command someone else, say, you go do that. No, the Lord dirtied his own hands. He got down on his own knees and he washed these disciples' feet himself. Now, he personally got up from the supper table, reached for the towel and the basin, and got to work. If you read down this passage, verses 4 and 5, you will see that there were seven steps to the work. We're told that he rose from the table, he laid aside his garments. Now, those would have been the outer flowing garments. And so anything that would inhibit his movement and the energy it required for the task, he laid aside those garments. He took a towel. He girded himself. He poured water into a basin. He began to wash each disciple's feet. And then to finish the job, he wiped the feet with a towel around as an apron. The Lord did it all every part of it personally. He wanted to do it himself. This was his advertisement. This was his opportunity to display his own personal interest and love for these disciples. Now, he could have commanded the disciples, well, here's water, here's a towel, go do it. Wash your own feet. Wash one another's feet. Do it reciprocally, one to the other. But he didn't. He entered into this all on his own. And this too is our example. How often we like to be a part of some cause by proxy, without getting our hands dirtied, without having reproach to our name, or taking any risk ourselves. And we live in such a convenience age when you can donate by hitting a button, when you can support uh, by various ways, but you don't really get involved. Now, in the Lord's church, to display that you are one of his disciples, you must become part of his church. You must become visibly involved. That's why one of the first things the Lord has ordained uh, for a professing Christian is baptism. It's public. It's a statement that you are now a disciple of Christ. You have repented of the world. You've given up any hope or confidence of being saved by the world. 
And you are now putting your complete rest and trust by faith in the work of the Lord Jesus as your Savior. And you're willing to express it. You're willing to be identified. You're willing to get involved in the fellowship of God's faithful saints who also love the Lord Jesus. And so these opportunities become our happy moment when we want to do it for the Lord's namesake and for his honor. Now, in real terms, uh, this can come down to giving someone a ride to the church. What a wonderful thing to call up on a Saturday evening and say, Hey, if you have time tomorrow morning or evening, I'm calling for you. And I'll bring you along to the service. We'll sit together and uh, we'll enjoy the service together. What a, a service that is. You know Sam Houston's statement, if everybody won one, how many would be one if each one won one? My, that is a great service in the Lord's work. Giving a meal to someone who is sick, giving a ride to a medical appointment, what a burden that becomes in some people. How do I get there? How do I find my way? How do I get there in time and get parked and all of that? And if someone say, I'll take you. I'll drop you off and do a few errands in the area and pick you up again. We'll make it work. What a, what a relief that can be. And by that you are demonstrating that you are one of Christ's disciples by doing such to one another. In many parts of the world, hospitals don't provide the basics of life. You may get some medical attention. You may get surprisingly good medical attention with very knowledgeable doctors and nurses. But they are not geared to provide laundry and food and all the care of life. And if someone needs help, uh, to eat and, and, and the necessities of life, uh, those things are not led on. And so family are led with that task, neighbors, friends, and those become opportunities to show forth discipleship. In our society, when you get into hospital, you, you really are not wanted in there. You become a nuisance. You have to inquire, when may I visit? How long can I visit? And these days with viruses and so on, uh, you may even be a health risk to be visiting certain parts of hospitals. We live in a very non-personal society, impersonal. And we sometimes relax and let that be so and say, well, I'm paying my taxes. That's all that's required. No, Christians should grasp every opportunity to show their service for the Lord in any possible ways. And we need to be intuitive. We need to be entrepreneurial. We need to be thinkers. How can I do something? And by this means... That builds your testimony, and you'll become known for your practical willingness to serve. All of this comes out 
of the Lord Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Now, another thing we have in this, Jesus' love demonstrated by gospel acceptance. Now, I, you may think, that's a clumsy heading. Could you not simplify that a little bit? Well, I want to use the term gospel acceptance because of Peter's problem. Peter's problem here, well, when the Lord came to wash Peter's feet, it got really interesting. And Peter rejected. He says, you're not going to wash my feet. What's this all about? And the Lord said, if I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. That's verse 8. And then Peter went and said again, but then wash me every, every part of me from head to toe. This is typical Peter, the pendulum swinger, the petulant disciple. First it was, you're not going to wash me at all. And then, well, if that's the case, you're going to wash all of me. And where did this end? What did the Lord say to him? Well, look down at verse 10. He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean. That's what he said to Peter. Now, what was he getting at? What was the Lord here saying to Peter? He that is clean only needs to have his feet washed. That means when you are washed, cleansed by the grace of the gospel through Christ, justified by faith, you don't need to be washed again from head to toe. But in this world, we are defiled by the filth of this world. And there's not a person who can walk without being defiled by sin in this world. And we need our feet washed. Every Christian needs to rejoice in these words of the Lord Jesus. He that is washed is every whit clean. If you're a Christian today and you've pleaded the blood of Christ on your heart and your life, then you can say that you're clean. You are clean from head to toe. And God does not keep his people on probation. Christians are not waiting to find out the final verdict. The verdict is already in. The promise of God's word is given. He that believeth shall be saved. There's no question mark. There's no doubt. There's no fear. It is certain. It's true. It's real. And for Peter, he was already washed. And there was no need for that washing from head to toe again. And so, let every Christian take hope in this reality. And if there's a Peter here today who perhaps is wondering, well, do I need to be washed from head to toe all over again? To the believer, no. To the sinner, yes. If you've never been saved, never called on the Lord to save you, then you do need that cleansing from head to toe. Because that's what sin has done to corrupt us from head to toe. I move on to the Savior's love demonstrated in his daily cleansing of believers. 
What was this washing for then? This washing of feet? Which speaks to us? Well, it speaks of the believer's walk. No Christian can walk through this world without knowing the defilement of this world. We live in a world of constant sin all around us. And every step we take, we are in danger of being defiled. But the Lord knows and makes provision for the washing of the believer's feet. Now notice in verse 8, the Savior's words, If I wash thee, thou hast... If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. That word part means no fellowship. No fellowship. Think of Mary and Martha. Mary chose the good part of sitting at Jesus' feet and enjoying fellowship with him. In John, 1 John 1, 7 and 9, it talks about fellowship with his Son through the blood of the Lord Jesus. We walk in the light as he is in the light. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us from all unrighteousness. Now that's for the Christian. That's for the believer. John 1 is for the child of God. If we walk in the light, and it's talking about the walk, and that relates to the feet washing. If we walk in the light as the Lord is in the light, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth us. And it keeps on cleansing us. And there's cleansing for you today. There's cleansing for you tomorrow. And as you have to live for the Lord in this sinful world, there is continual ongoing cleansing as we plead the power of that blood of the Lord Jesus for our lives and for our daily walk. Now, Peter's big mistake was to refuse this washing. And the Lord said, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me, meaning you have no fellowship with me. This was an act expressing tremendous and wonderful fellowship. Now, there is a way of victory for the believer in this life. There is a way of overcoming the world. It is by enjoying the continual cleansing and the washing of the Lord Jesus. And this is part of his great love. He loves us to the end. It's not a matter if I'm saved today and I sin tomorrow, I'm lost. I'm cast away. I'm rejected. No, he loves us now. And he loves us to the end. That's the happy confidence of every born-again, blood-washed Christian. And then Peter, oh, Peter, who got this so mixed up, who got things so wrong, he learned the lesson, and then he obeyed the Lord. That's one thing that is on Peter's good side. He was able to see his error and put it right. That ought to be a mark of 
you and me as well. Where we go wrong, we should be willing to repent and put it right. And so, as to Peter, the Lord said, Ye are clean every whit, and ye are clean. What a pronouncement. What a happy pronouncement to Peter. And so this is a great example. And it is a great confidence booster to every child of God that we are clean every whit. And we are to love our fellow believers, our brothers and sisters in Christ in the gospel to the point where it would be true to say he or she will do anything for you anything that is within their power that should mark our Christian discipleship and if that was true across the board among professing Christians what a testimony it would be to the world by this shall all men know that ye are indeed my disciples no question marks but true genuine conversion and discipleship of the Lord Jesus and so I leave with you this example one thing in closing this was never repeated again there are some Mennonite uh, churches and fellowships and others that put this into real practice. You come along to the meeting and you'll find a basin of water. You'll find the towel. And there's a foot washing ceremony. How would you like to attend that one? But we take this as a principle to be practiced not just at a ceremony but every day of our Christian lives and make it our mark of serving, following the Lord. I pray that is your testimony too and that you will see that this is genuine. There's too much of the phony all around us, but this is the mark of the genuine. Jesus really saves he really loves his own and he loves them to the end what a wonderful wonderful truth our loving father in heaven we thank thee today for the gift of your son for the gift of salvation by faith in all of his life his death his resurrection and praise God his coming again. And so, Lord, we thank thee that thou art our Savior to cleanse us. Thank you for each one in this gathering who is washed every whit, every part, is clean. Thank you, Lord, for the cleansing power of the blood of Christ. And we thank thee also for that daily cleansing that you give us to walk with thee in the fullness of the fellowship of the Savior. Keep us today. Abide with us until we meet again. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus, the love of God, 
the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with your born-again people now and evermore. Amen. Amen.